Hi. This is episode five. Oh, so where are you from? from? <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Yoko. How are you doing today? You know, I I feel great. I think we had an awesome interview. We've had a string of really good interviews, and I have to say, um, before we do anything, that I am so grateful at the outpouring of support and positivity that has come in, have, that has come from anyone who's listening right now. Yeah, I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm glad that the things that we're saying are relatable. Yeah, you know that you find it good or that they resonate with you it makes that's what makes me happy yeah same it's just so cool to hear other people being like oh i totally know what you're talking about or just like i folded those strips of paper into little stars and put them in a jar too yeah (laughs) my aim handle had like up and uppercase and lowercase yeah it was insane it's just cool because um, as much as this podcast is supposed to be about how we're different, we've had different backgrounds, we're different people, we have different values, but we all kind of like share a lot of experiences. Um, and I think it's it's good in the context of this podcast, but it also is just like really shows how maybe people perceive us in a way that is all kind of the same. And we're like out here. We out here. We out here. We out here. In these streets. In these these podcast streets. (laughs) Trying to like, trying to show that everyone, like we were different. We're multifaceted. We're multitudes. We're like the different sides of a diamond. (laughs) I'm really terrible at this accent. No, that was fine. And I also want to say um, to anyone that is not Asian out there. You know, thank you for listening to this podcast, too. Yeah. Thank you for caring enough to broaden your perspective in this way. Yeah. Basically, we we want to make a podcast that is relatable to a lot of people, but we don't want to make it anything that excludes anybody. Sure. Just because it's pro-Asian doesn't mean it's anti-white or anti-black or anti-Latino. It is just, it's pro-awareness. Yeah. And pro-wokeness. Pro-prokeness. Prokeness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. We love you, and Aww. I, I really, I'm really thankful for all you guys. Yeah, and there me are too. there are a lot more than I thought. I know a lot more than I thought. Okay, there are lots of Asian people on this planet. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> there are. There's a shit ton of us. Oh my gosh. So, anyways, do you want to do your um, model minority yoga? Yeah, my model minority this week is a man named Jeff Yang. Oh shit. Jeff Yang. He is one controversial motherfucker. Yeah, so many years ago when... This must have been in like the 90s? 1994. 1994. For the first time, there was like a primetime Asian show, Mm -hmm. sitcom about an Asian family starring Margaret Cho. Mm -hmm. It was called All American Girl. And um, it was just like a typical sitcom. Mediocre in quality. Cheesy dialogue. Cheesy dialogue. And... At the time, a man named Jeff Yang, who was just coming up in journalism, mm-hmm. he was tasked to write a review. He was, I think, uh, uh, I it, for the Village Voice. The Village Voice. Yeah. Yeah. And he, true to like himself as like a culture critic, kind of just like... Gave sh- it an honest review. Gave it an honest review, meaning that it sucked. Mm-hmm. And... The interesting thing that we I found out later is that Jeff Yang, 
is a friend of Margaret Cho's. And when he wrote this review and the review went out, Margaret Cho contacted him and was like, when this show is canceled, if this show is canceled, they're going to point at this review and say, even the Asian people don't like this show. And then the show was canceled. And then there wasn't another Asian sitcom on TV for like 20 years Mm -hmm. until Fresh Off the Boat. And guess who the protagonist is? And guess who the protagonist is? It is a man named Hudson Yang, son of Jeff Yang. Yes. And there is a really, I mean, there are many articles about this, but like there is an article in the Wall Street Journal where Jeff Yang writes about how this is, I'm not sure retribution is the right word. There There are many like outlets that talk about like whether he feels like this is something that he owed back but jeff yang is my model minority this week because i feel like he kind of got the the bad end of just trying to be honest and like wanting to see like good tv almost to the extent that like he'll he'll pan the one asian american show that's out there because it's quote not good enough and even if i don't agree necessarily with what he did i can't help but like feel that I might have done the same thing. Just because when when you have so few chances to ex- for Asianness to be represented somewhere, like, you want it to be good. And when you feel like it's not good, you want it to be like, that wasn't good! Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that now that that's, like, a very counterproductive thing to do because what you want is to have more stories. But I just want to, like, give a shout-out to Jeff Yang, man, because it was just, like, I felt like his job was really... Writing that review might have been really tough for him, and he still did it. And TV suffered for 20 years without an Asian TV show. But I don't know. I just I just felt like it, it was like a really personal thing that like ended up having really public repercussions. And like, I just can't imagine feeling guilty for that. But here's the thing, though, is that he did the right thing, I think, because he was true to himself. Yeah. And while that was not necessarily beneficial for the Asian community as a whole, he didn't misrepresent himself. Yeah. And he gave an honest critique, which is what his job was. Yeah. To write for the Village Voice. Yeah. And this segment is called Model Minorities because it's Asians doing cool shit and repping yourself and not feeling, like, obligated to, like, hold one down for your entire goddamn ethnicity, yeah. for your entire race is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, slightly related, there was a recent NPR um, Code Switch episode that talks about this a lot, um, specifically about the concept of rep sweats. Yep. Which is just like, rep sweats is basically when, they, they talk specifically about like happening in TV, but just like representation of Asianness in general. It's like when it happens, the few times it happens, you're worried that it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it is good, it has to be bad better it can't just be there are so many mediocre white family sitcoms yeah and they are allowed to exist yeah. but for us to have only one show like you want it to be the best yeah and like when it's not when it's just mediocre it's not good enough and like that's that's hard mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway shout out to jeff yang you did great your son hudson is a fucking charm so fantastic and adorable yeah good job Good job, Jeff Yang. Also, shout out to Jenny Yang, no relation, who came up with the term rep sweats. Yes, thank you, Jenny Yang. That's uh, a real thing. Love that term. Hashtag rep sweats forever. That's me. That's my life. <sighs> anyway, hi, Kate. Who's your model minority? My model minority is an up-and-coming comedian, and his name is Joel 
Kim Booster. Cool. And he is Korean, but he was adopted by a white family Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Mm. And he was on Conan O'Brien recently, and he gave a hilarious little performance. Yeah, he did like a set. A set. That's what it's called. <laughs> and and I feel like it really encapsulated the experience of being a minority. Yeah. Two kinds of minorities because not only is he an ethnic minority, he's also gay. Yeah. He said that he knew he was gay before he knew he was Asian, which yeah. I found hilarious. And yeah. if you get the opportunity to listen to the set, I highly, highly encourage you to do so. Yeah. Especially if you're a sassy gay man living in the Midwest he describes the Midwest as, he says, oh, you know, Americans think that the South is the most racist. But, you know, the Midwest is just as racist. It just has none of the culture. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just so funny. And and, and I think it speaks multitudes to the different kinds of experiences that we have. And I feel like his experience ties very much into the interview that you're about to hear today. Yeah. Our guest for this episode was Nate Pokert. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a friend of ours. Uh, he's a creative director. He's also a very talented photographer. And as I found out, he can also sing and play instruments. Yeah. Yeah. He's multi-talented. And he also fucking knows everybody in New York. It's he insane. knows everyone. If New York was a dog park, he has sniffed every dog's balls. <laughs> What do you think the likelihood is that someone's listening to this podcast and it's just like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> oh, he knows Yoko and Kate? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Of, I course, can't he would, of course he would know Yoko and Kate. He knows fucking everybody. He knows everyone. Yeah. So. We were really happy to have him on. I think he gave us a really powerful and interesting interview yeah. that comes from, like, a really unique perspective that you really don't hear that often. Yeah. And I'm so, so grateful that that we had him on and so thankful for him. So thank you, Nate, for coming on. If you're Thanks, listening. Nate. We'll talk to you in a little bit. In the meantime, here's your interview. What was okay. fantastic. <laughs> well, today on the podcast, we have Nate Poker. Hi guys. Hi Nate. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us. Nate is a very talented photographer, art director, friend of mine, knows everyone. He's sort of like a jack of all trades um entrepreneur he honestly does it all failed entrepreneur no <laughs> no <laughs> no like i said entrepreneur no cut that part out <laughs> <laughs> but we're really happy to have you here thank you so much for coming no i'm happy to be here i love what you guys are doing oh thanks nate fuck um nate can you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah oh god nate where are you from i was born in seoul South Korea, mm-hmm. and I was adopted when I was three months old, and I was raised by white people. Wow. <laughs> where, where, where were these white people? Who, um, who were they? Describe them. Well, my, my family is a mixture of things. My dad is from um, Pennsylvania. He grew up in a military family, and then my mom is like redneck as like they can get. Where, where is she from? My mom is from Folkston, Georgia. Oh, okay. Whoa. Yeah. I don't know where that is. Well, why would you? <laughs> no, I know where Georgia is. Well, okay, so <laughs> let me ask you this. Um, why did these uh, two very white people adopt an Asian baby? Um, so my mom has a um, 
thing that many females actually have, which is called endometriosis, which it it basically makes it really difficult to have children. And my mom grew up in a large family, and she always wanted a big family. So after a series of complications with having kids, even though I have an older brother and sister, and they're the biological children of my mom and dad, they just really, really wanted um, a kid. But there were a lot of things that happened that prevented them from – because they never, like, were set out that was like – we want to raise an Asian baby. Like it, there was, that wasn't like this like set out thing. And I think what essentially happened was, is that they just were able to be in a situation where it came up as an opportunity mm-hmm. and with no preparation and Lord knows no preparation of raising <laughs> an Asian child in central Florida. They raised me and I found out I was adopted by looking at a painting one day and being like, why do I look like Moses Kim? <laughs> who, who is Moses Wait, Kim? Yeah. Please there was only me. one other Asian family in the entire town that I grew up in. And of course, we happened to be taking the same Taekwondo class. It's like, and I remember looking in the mirror and I remember in my own head being like, we look the like. And I'm like three or four at this okay, point. I was going to ask how old you were. Yeah, I was like three or four. And I'm like looking at the family portrait and I'm just like, why do I look like Moses Kim? <laughs> Wow. And you know what my parents did? And did they're they not going to ever listen to this. No, no. They, they bought me a book. What book was it? I think the book was called Tommy Has a New Brother. Oh. Wait, I've heard of this book. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And it, But here's the bad part. Like, mm. it didn't really help me because the adopted kid was ginger. I'm like, oh. I can't identify with this. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Wait, was it a ginger kid being adopted into another white yes, family? Yes, it was a ginger then kid. who the fuck cares? <laughs> oh, God. Aren't gingers largely also white? Yes. Am I com- okay, so yes. I'm not confused. No, they, they didn't have, the Family Christian Bookstore didn't have a book that was like, People of Asian. It's funny that you should mention that because when I was a young child, I was actually exposed to this book by Alan Say called Allison, and it's about this... Japanese girl who finds out that she's adopted. But in an Asian family? No, she oh. is adopted by a white family and she is an Asian child. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And she um, can't identify with anybody physically, but she identifies with her doll, who is from Japan, which leads us back to the freaky ass Japanese doll oh story. God, oh my no. God. <laughs> real though, she identifies with her doll because the doll looks like her. And she's like, this doll is the only one that understands me. And I don't even know why my parents had this book because I wasn't adopted. You look way too much like your mom. Oh, God, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, no, I I think we had that book because Alan Say is a Japanese-American writer. Japanese people will always go out to support anyone with a Japanese last name. You bet your ass that my parents sit at the end of all movie credits and they're just like, oh, look at all these Japanese people that worked on this movie. (laughs) Oh, look at all the animators. That's great. That's why, like, Asian people will only hire Asian photographers to shoot their weddings. Oh, God. You know that's true. true. Yeah. But, I mean, they're also coming from Asia. Isn't that... Is that what you're talking about? Are we talking about the Asian photographers in, like, Dumbo? Oh, or... God. No, like, like all... Like, in in Southern California. Like, all of the Asian families... Asian Americans? All the, all the Asian American families only hire other Asian photographers. Well, here's the thing I'll say about that is... You have all... to support your homies. You do, but... And, and like, all of my And also doctors, your homies will give you a deal. They will. Yeah. Homies will give you a deal. Well, all of my doctors, dentists, optometrists, Japanese. Hairstylist, I will only go to a Japanese hairstylist. I can't because your people try to take over my people. Oh my god. So do you go to a Korean hairstylist? <laughs> no, I... I do white hairstylist. <laughs> exactly. No, mine is Filipino. Oh, oh nice. Good 
Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Kate said that through gritted teeth. Right. Well, this is progressing nicely. All right. <laughs> um, so, Nate, um, you said you took Taekwondo. Did your parents raise you with any knowledge of Korea or Korean culture? Zero. Zero. Did they know that you were Korean? I don't know. Okay, they're Yoko. They're from the south. They're not. They're not like like mentally disabled. Okay. Like I'm pretty sure my adoption certificate and my like all my paperwork said South Korea on it. Okay. Okay. So my parents weren't like no. It's like. (laughs) So there is there is a story that like surfaced on Reddit. Have you heard about this? Have I heard of Reddit? No, no, no. There's a story that happened on that a guy wrote on Reddit. There's like a subreddit called Today I Fucked Up, and then. It's basically a guy, a, a dad who is white, was just like, today, I fucked up. I've been fucking up for the last 17 years. I adopted a baby from a Chinese-American family and wanted to be respectful of the fact that he had a Chinese heritage. And I raised him to learn Chinese. I, like, taught him about all this stuff. And then when he was applying to college, we were looking through his, like, adoption documents and then found out his parents' last names were Park and Kim. He's a Korean. Yes. He's a Korean baby. Fucked up so bad. That's the Koreanest last name. Yeah. You just never know. No. Um, I was, <laughs> no, very Korean. My last name is Jun, J-O-O-N, mm-hmm. which is a very Korean last name. I, I know you have siblings, but can you talk a little bit about them? Are they adopted? Are they biological? I have an older brother who's five years older than me and an older sister who's ten years older than me. They were just normal. Yeah. How, how could... What, what do you mean by that? The best way I can put it, and they talk, they joke around very openly about this to me. And I, I have a, I have a very good relationship with my brother and sister now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I was like the golden child forever. And you were the youngest. And I was the youngest until I was gay. And then like, I got n- right, knocked right back down to like third place. So when wow. did you come out to your parents and your family? Um, I, first person I told that I was gay was actually in high school. Mm-hmm. I just worked. Oh, that's <laughs> I was like, I wasn't having like, I, know. I was like, oh my God. I wasn't because having an emotionally cord. moment. I was trying not to burp out loud into the microphone. <laughs> like, I know I had a moment where I was like, I was like, well, like, um, I told one other person in college, and then when I moved to New York, I told one person when I was 26. I told more, more people progressively, um, and then it wasn't until I had my first boyfriend that I decided to, like, I'm here. <laughs> and how old were you when that happened? 28, 29. So, like, I, but I was, like, I was, I was out enough to where like you know when i was like 27 28 but like i was very very like private about it yeah you know what i mean it wasn't until i decided i was ready to deal honestly deal with the consequences what do you mean by that i knew that initially my parents weren't going to be okay with it and it's taken four years for us to finally have a actual relationship where they actually express interest in my life um which it's a funny thing because like you know your podcast is about context and and things dealing with being asian american and while i do identify as an asian american i also know that like it goes it's it's like very very there's super 
difficult extremities when you're gay and you're an Asian male because mm-hmm. it's either like your family is like so okay with it, you know what I mean, or it's like you can never tell them mm-hmm. because like especially if you're a boy because like as and like I have some friends who are in their like early to mid thirties and they've been with their partner for eight years, but because they're the oldest son or they're the only son, they're never gonna tell their parents. Yeah. yeah, I know some people like that too. Yeah. It's it's heartbreaking that you can't just be who you are to your own parents. Exactly. One of my friends is literally like, I, I'm not getting married until, until like, it's not his parents necessarily, but he's like, I'm not getting married until my Ahmad dies. Wow. Yikes. Wow, that's that's so, like... Yeah, it's a reality. It is yeah. a reality. Um, Did you watch RuPaul's Drag Race this year? Well, I, I found kimchi annoying, and like, I don't really you know... Like her voice? You don't like him no, because like, and and here's the deal. he wasn't that good. Like, I was like, there could be a better representation of like. Sure. She was very good at costume design. Right. I think that she could paint. Bitch could paint. Like makeup on yes. point. Costumes on point. Like her dance, her dance, too. and like stage presence was just like, girl, like you might as well just be like folding laundry right now. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, the reason why I say, have you heard of kimchi is because kimchi did not tell his mother that he was gay or that he did drag until he was parading around the, the logo stage. I still even think that on the stage of the finale, she didn't know. Wow. Yeah. It's a reality, but you have to deal with different like consequences. Like for mine, my parents are very, very, very religious and they still are. And I mean, I don't, there's not that many parents who would be so audacious enough to march in a pride parade with their kids in general. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But that's what everybody thinks like support is. But for me, just the fact that I can have a phone conversation with my mom, like I did last Saturday, and she'll ask me about, you know, my boyfriend who I'm dating right now, and she'll ask me how he's doing. That's like a huge deal in itself. She's no longer telling me that I'm going, you know, I'm going to deal with fire and brimstone and I'm standing at the chasm of blackness. Did she used to say that to you? Yeah. (laughs) Did she say that to you knowing that you were gay? Or was it like, as you were growing up? Was it like, honestly, like to them, they still fully believe that this is a lifestyle choice Mm -hmm. that I'm going, that that I'm deciding, that that I'm doing. But like my brother and sister knew that I was gay when I was like nine. And I, I hate to bring it up because it was like a topic of conversation in a previous podcast but like my sister knew i was gay because when i saw christy yamaguchi win the gold medal i wanted to like put on a dress and just like dance around the living room i mean and I a dress too. yes <laughs> exactly we all did i was like i want to go take ice skating lesson oh my god like, me too like, we talked about this okay <laughs> this just shows you how much of a force christy yamaguchi was at that point in time there was nobody else i mean i worship michelle kwan too okay mm-hmm. I didn't mention this when we mentioned Christy, but I will mention it now. Michelle Kwan is my favorite fucking athlete because when I was in third grade, <laughs> she was in her prime. Her prime. And I wrote a book report on her. And I ended the book report with, and she answers all of her fan mail personally. Well, I sent her that book report after I finished it. And three years later, I get an autographed fucking photo. And it says, to Kate, love Michelle. <laughs> it was the best moment of my life. <laughs> I still have it. I'll never throw it away. Oh, God. I'll never throw it away. I mean, no, I get it. Because, like, my love of Michelle Kwan, I I cannot convey how much more gay I am than in this statement. (laughs) God. Do it, Nate. In 2003, her world championship performance was to Arnhez. In 2004, her world championship performance was to Tosca. 
And in 2005, her world championship performance was to Bolero. Ugh. And you know that. And I know all of them. I watched them on YouTube. I recently rewatched her performance to Fields of Gold. Oh, after, after she, she, lost. she lost. Oh my god. She I, I bawled. And then oh, at I the, cry the ending scene, like time. the last. Fuck you, Tara Lipinski, if you ever <laughs> listen to this. Fuck you and your, like, two footed landings and your, like,. Like all your bullshit, like, and you are fucking annoying right now. It's like every single Asian person has that reaction whenever you mention Michelle Kwan. They're like, "Yo, fuck Tara Lipinski, fuck her." Sarah Hughes, I was okay with because it's like you know what, Michelle Kwan fell. She did. Like she fell. Like Sarah Hughes deserved that, but like Tara Lipinski, it's like no. She was sloppy when she was a little baby. Yeah, like, when she would do her layback spins, her leg would be, like, dangling out there like this. It's like... (laughs) It's like, she should have artistic deductions for that, okay? True. And technical deductions. And technical. The book that I wrote Michelle Kwan's book report on Uh came with, like, a free knockoff of her necklace with the gold on it. Oh, my God, I know exactly what book you're talking about. Oh, my God. I bought that book just because I wanted to be like her so badly, and I wore that I remember that. I went to Stars on Ice by myself one time. Oh, my God. My parents took me to Stars on Ice No, no, here's what I was saying. When I was in college. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) grown-ass man. I I was like... 20 and i went to stars on ice by myself That's because amazing. i'm like my fraternity brothers will like do harm to me if they find out that i want to go see brian boitano and christy yamaguchi and michelle kwan i loved stars on ice <laughs> i went to my dad my parents took me like every year for maybe like eight years it was it was just well I well that. i tried to lie to my dad and tell him i wanted to be a hockey player so i wanted to take skating lessons but the reality was is you wanted to be a figure skater I want to wear tights and glitter. Tears of joy, tears of sadness. More than a little irony, as she stated, the fields of gold. We watch with a heavy heart. So many people wanted her to have that medal. Yeah, what should we go into segments? Yeah, let's or... talk about um, how Asian are you? It'll be interesting because you are adopted. Who did the disciplining in your family? Both my parents. Really? There wasn't one alpha? Yeah. I, I mean, the the manner in which my parents disciplined would, would probably be illegal. There was whipping and like... With a belt? With, with a belt. There was bars of soap. What's the bars of soap? Like, if I said shut up, I would oh, get like a bar of soap. But the worst was is that I would be forced to write Bible verses like a hundred times. What? Whoa. Oh, God. Which verse was it? Honor your father and your mother. Like, like those types of things. Was there a difference in the type of disciplinary action between your two parents? Or do they just, like, share the disciplinary role? Well, I mean, I was actually a pretty good kid compared to my older brother. But, you know, I would do things where, you know, to my parents, because I grew up in a very, very overly religious, you know, my parents at the time were very, very borderline pentecostal i I still believe that the church that i grew up in was a cult in several ways it was very benny hen like tv evangelist type of thing i see did you go to like a mega church i did mega church to the point where when i was like six for like the christmas recital normally it's just like oh somebody's gonna come up and play the violin and somebody's gonna come up and sing like oh holy night no i went to a mega church so 
I, my ass had to be suspended by a cable. Oh my god! You were sixty feet the in the air. Okay, like, and I would just sit there for like the first thirty minutes of the production, where I was just hanging on a harness. My ass is scared of heights too. And then I would get dropped down, and I was a north star, and I was six years old, and I would sing all as well. And my and my mom was just like, "That's my baby." Aww. She was so proud of you. But does your mom have an accent? Yeah, she has a southern accent. She's gotten rid of it now. Did you grow up with a southern accent? I grew up with, I call it colloquialisms, where like, I say y'all a lot, mm -hmm. and I say like, just like, ain't. Uh, I just grew up, I grew up because my mom is very, very southern, and her family is very, very geographically centric. My Thanksgivings would be in southern Georgia, like, in the mountains. Mm -hmm. With, like, my uncles playing, like, banjos and dobros. And most people don't even know what a dobro is. I don't it's know a what a dobro is. It's a lap guitar. I thought it was downtown Brooklyn. <laughs> no. No, no, no. no. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a type of guitar that's not exactly a slide guitar. But it's you, stick it, you sit it on your lap and it's like, my, my aunt played that. Like, my uncle owned a fish hatchery. One of my other uncles has a beard still down to his belly button. Like, straight out of Duck Dynasty? Like, straight out of Duck Dynasty. And like half my, all of my aunts have like two names. You mean like Mary Sue? Mary Wade is actually one of my aunts. Oh, wow. Aunt Mary Wade and Aunt Sue Ann. So wow. question, how did your parents' family treat you and embrace you as people who hadn't? As an Asian? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest, because I was the baby mm -hmm. of my entire family. And I found in my adulthood that... You know, my mom doesn't, I think because of my mom's extreme religious um, beliefs, she kind of alienated her, my aunts and uncles a little bit. So, oh, interesting. So, oh, they're not religious. No. Yes and no. Like, it's just, there's a lot of family things that happen. Like, white people be cray, you guys, okay? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like, you know how, like, Asian families, like, in most predominant, like, most Asian families, like, family is, like, number one. Family is, like, there. Mm -hmm. Like, not so much with white people. I'm happy that, like, I have an aunt that I love. I told her that I was gay before I told my mom because she's, she's, she's a southern redneck Democrat, and I love her. Some of my cousins, though, and some of my aunts, I haven't seen for, like, ten years. Mm -hmm. So, uh... I mean, are they estranged from you? No, it's just more so that's, like, it's kind of like a, I don't have a reason to see them okay. because i think i'm the only one i think i'm the only cousin out of like 20 of us who's not married yet mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and i want to sorry mom and dad like i don't even know if like how much of my family i would invite another question to sort of follow up on you know we're talking a lot about family how, who taught you about being asian how did you figure that out that's such a loaded question um I was terrified of Asians up until I moved to New York. What do you mean by that? Please elaborate. I didn't know how to identify as being an Asian at all. Mm -hmm. When did you move to New York again? When I was 25. Okay. 24. When I was 24. So it's been... Um, it's been... Years. Yeah, it's been nine years this December. Even, even my first few years in New York, it was difficult for me because I think that like when you're raised in a predominantly white family... 
I mean, it was a white family. It's not predominantly. They mm-hmm. wouldn't allow other minorities into it. Um, <laughs> we got our token. We're getting out. <laughs> I, I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a city in Florida called Tarpon Springs, which is the largest concentric population of Greek people in the United States. And I went to school that had only an Asian population that was like 6%, despite the fact that there were over 50,000 kids at my school. Like, and I'm talking college now. I was also homeschooled. What? What? I didn't know you oh were homeschooled. Really? No, you never once mentioned that to me. Wow. Uh, yeah, we could talk about that for a while too, but like, we can circle back to that. Oh my God! Wait, uh, that I mean, that makes so much more sense as to why you were afraid to socialize with other Asian people because you must have been afraid to socialize with people in general. I was so socially awkward. Like, I'm still friends with two people from high school. When you when you say high school, when did they stop homeschooling you? When I went to high school in ninth grade. Oh, my right. parents were like. Okay, he's he's relatively a freak enough by this point. Let's put him in high school now. Wow. Did they do that for your two older siblings too? No. Why well, actually, my, my brother was homeschooled for a little bit, for like three years. I was homeschooled from first grade through eighth grade. Is there a reason why you were homeschooled? And not your there was a combination of a lot of things. My parents will never admit this, but the reality is, is that they wanted me to concentrate on piano and tennis. What? They wanted to turn you into like a prodigy? I was a piano prodigy. Like I was, I don't like a lot of people don't know anything about like, like the actual, like there's like a whole guild that you have to go through when you're a concert musician. I reached level 10 when I was like nine. I was, I was a, like, I didn't get on the actual show. There was a show called, like, Disney's Young Musician Symphony Orchestra. So I, I was, I was at the camp, but because there was a little bitch who was three years younger than me, like, who was a little bit better than, like, who wasn't even as good as me, but because she, it was like this Asian girl who was, like, six, and she was, like, playing Rachmaninoff, so of course she got on the show. And they're like, oh, we already have an Asian person. I know, we already have an Asian person, sorry. No, actually, no, what are you talking about? All those, all those fuckers were Asian. <laughs> and then of course like, like I, I, I remember walking around and being like where are you from Southern California where are you from Southern California where are you from LA Arcadia like San Diego like San Francisco I'm like I'm from Florida so yeah I mean I was homeschooled and then I don't remember what happened but I think I just kind of put my foot down and was like I just wanted to go to normal school so my Fair parents enough. dropped me into a very, very small Christian high school. How, how big was your class? 20. Oh, what? That's very, very oh small. Oh my God. I thought my school was small. That's uh, not that small. 20. Yeah. Which, which meant that my social ineptness was very, very magnified very, very quickly. Mm. Because they had all been in regular school. Well, there. one, there was only one other minority, and his name was James Faber, and he was black. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just me. You know what I mean? And I was just, like, I was so socially awkward. Like, I was so bad. Like, I think I think I called a girl fat on the, my first day there. Oh, my God. It wasn't like I called her fat. I remember sitting at a lunch table, and there was this girl sitting across from me. Because they had invited me to come sit with them. Because, like, some people were nice. Thank God. They invited me to sit with them. And there's this girl sitting across from me at the lunch table. And she's complaining about, like, because you only remember things that are, like, tragic in your mind like you know uh-huh. what i mean like it's yeah. one of the weirdest things i remember but like she was sitting across the lunch table and she was complaining about how she was overweight and she hated how overweight she was i didn't call her fat i just said we'll stop eating cheese fries Ooh, shade but I mean, like in my no, mind I mean, like, i'm like, just like you're you her... want to lose weight so stop eating cheese fries mm-hmm. like and i was a big kid i was very large 
I had the stretch marks on my ass to prove it. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> For those of you who can't see Nate sitting in front of us now, he's extremely spelt. <laughs> He yeah, has a you should six also pack. follow his Instagram. Follow him on Instagram and get an Insta bone. Hey, I work hard. All his Snapchats are him leaving. I know. I pay. Yeah. I pay good money to look like this. <laughs> okay, you don't know what it's like to be gay in New York City. Okay, it is hard. <laughs> the pressure. The is pressure so is so hard. Yeah. Yes. Wait, I have a. I have a. Um. I have another how Asian are you question. Okay. So, sort of related to what you were saying earlier, do you have an entire group of friends that is only Asian people? Which oh. is like such an, it's it's an interesting question to ask now that I know that you did not really talk to Asian people until you came to New York. For a long time in New York, I did. And it was very, very, it was actually accidental. So I, I think like with any, with any like, group of friends that you have it's ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. of like you're closer to some people you're not so close people that i really really love and just at this time in our lives we're not close in terms of day to day but i still like really care about them and i think they're like amazing friends but like for like a good two years circumstantially my best friend was korean she's like like she's married to a filipino Mm -hmm. like my other really close friend is half vietnamese she's now married to a chinese guy surrounded by asians yeah surrounded by so i was like but for me now, and it's it's almost normalized, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, my current boyfriend is is um, Taiwanese, which means I've completed the entire circle. Of, you've you've made the full. Round. I've made the full rounds. Oh my god! <laughs> I literally have. <laughs> okay. Wait. So like, I've dated or have like, you know, seriously dated to a certain extent every Asian that exists. Is your type Asian dudes? So this is actually a really good question. Um, this is a loaded question. So, my boyfriend is, like most of my boyfriends are in the past, have been um, nicer than me, better people, more thoughtful. Well, it's it's people that, like, I'm okay with the fact that for the past guys that I've dated, my friends will tend to like my boyfriend more than they will like me, which I'm okay what? with. Well, I feel like that's actually okay. You want that. You want your friends to really, really like the person that you're dating. You don't want them to like them more than they like you. No, but I can tell. Anyways, so... <laughs> <laughs> anybody who's listening to this can... Time, anybody who's listening to this can get a sense that I'm a little blunt and I'm a little, like, just, like, whatever. Like, I think we waste too much time pussyfooting around things and I just say what I think. He was homeschooled. Um, I was homeschooled. <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest answer ever. Um, so here's here's the truth answer. And this is... This is this is like your first like actual like slap in the face true Asian moment. I'm very very open and I have been historically for the past few years of dating outside my race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reality is is that I have found when I date within my race, the quality is better. Hmm. What? Do you, how so? Yeah. Why do you think that? When you're dealing with with other ethnicities, whether that's white, Latino, black, there's a 50% chance, honestly, that they're into you because they have a an fetish. Asian fetish. Okay, so can you talk more about that in the gay community? Because, I mean, I, as a straight Asian female, have definitely experienced that. Yeah, I mean, it, here's the thing. It is, it, is, it, is, it is something where... The funniest thing is, is that, and like my, one of my best friends, Carlos, will say this, is that like... I'm a white person trapped in an Asian body who has an Asian fetish. Like, <laughs> like, I know. I look, I love Yoko's face right now. Yoko's face is like, no. no. But like, no, and that's only partially true. Um, no, but like, here's the thing is that 
when you're dealing with it, it's that there is this, there is a stigma that comes with being a Gaijin that you are somebody who is very, I'm just going to say it, like, you, like, there's a stigma that comes that if you're an, if you're an Asian male in this city that you are, like, a power bottom. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. And that really turns on a lot of guys in other races. I've I've heard that before. Yeah. Do they also associate feelings of dominance or like that you are subservient? Mom, I'm really really sorry. By the way, if you ever actually find a way to listen to this, I'm so sorry. Well, like, <laughs> well sex is like a huge part. Sex is a huge part of like it is of anyone's identity, not just gay guys. But I yeah. want to understand that more because both men and women gay and straight get this fetish and i want to understand what what it is that people think that we give off it's not that you give off anything i think for me personally is that i think i've had i have attracted certain guys before for the strict fact that i'm not a stereotypical gaijin what is a stereotypical gaijin smaller figure kind of like pretty femme if that's a word and there's nothing wrong with femme yeah. but like so you know, it's like physical features not it's like physical features or, and it's yeah. just you know like it, it's it mostly has to do with mannerisms mm. and and like physical features the funniest thing is is that and what a lot of people don't realize in new york city and a majority of asian of gay asian men in these major metropolitan cities would actually prefer to date other asians really that is their preference. Is it because of the this reason? Life? The reason why the stigma exists that a lot of Asians would prefer to date white men is because culturally, just like the population in New York City or in any other city might be only like ten percent Asian, the same thing goes for the gay community. You're looking at like seventy percent white and then thirty percent minorities, and ten percent of that might be Asian. Mm-hmm. So when there are a large proportion of white men who their preference is to date Asian men, like if most of my most of my gay friends like i'm their only asian friend hmm. and and they'll make a lot of comments about that not in my expense but just about the fact that like they're fascinated by the fact that like i that my preference is to date within my race hmm. why because most of their experience is with their white friends who when they're white friends who have a preference for Asian friends, they're only introduced to Asians who don't want to date within their race. Does oh, that make sense? Yeah, I see. So Weird. when when your only exposure as a white man, as a as a white gay guy in New York City, is the only Asians that you're meeting are the Asian friends that your white friends are dating, are the Asians that your white friends are dating, mm-hmm. your automatic mindset is that Asian dudes want to date white guys. Asian dudes want to date white guys. I see. Wow. Weird. Yeah. So you, but it's not as if you and your boyfriend right now are like an anomaly. No. It's just like. He has, he, his, his, the majority of his friends are predominantly Asian. Mm -hmm. My friends are much broader mixture. Like my closest friends are, are across the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, my closest friends are white, you know what I mean? Or Hispanic. His friends are also predominantly Asian and they're prominently gay. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And all of them are only dating other other gays. You can say Gaysians. <laughs> Wait, where's your um, where's your boyfriend from? Is he from? He's from Taiwan. He's like straight up from Taiwan. His parents 
born and raised there. He's from Vancouver, which is about as also as Asian as you can get. Which is very Asian. Mm. Yes, very true. Zam. Zam. Shit, I learned so much. I learned so much. much. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so I don't know if we're going to keep this in the episode or not, but are you a top or a bottom? You said something about being... Asians being perceived as a as power, bottom. power bottom. Wait, can you explain to me what it means to add that power prefix to a top or a bottom? So like, okay, I'm going to walk you through. I'm going to walk you through. I'm ready. You have and and a lot of a lot of gay guys who will listen to this and be like that girl's wrong or like bitch needs to shut up. Like, it's okay. This is your experience and my experience is my experience is that you have power tops, tops Top preferred mm. verse mm-hmm. bottom preferred bottom power bottom. Those are the different levels, you know, and all but all Scorpio. six of them can just be classified as like skanks. So <laughs> <laughs> one's not sluttier than the other. It's like they're all sk- no. So I am. Yeah, I would be classified as a top preferred. Okay. I feel like most gay dudes have tried both. Yeah, yeah, like most, and I mean, but like, there's a shortage of tops in New York City. I've heard what? that. I've heard that as well. Yes. I think you and told also, me And also, if we're going to talk about Asian, okay, this is the weirdest thing about being Asian and being gay, or just being Asian guy in general. Like, I have hooked up with white guys before, and we will be literally in the middle of hooking up and they will literally stop and make a comment that will be something along the lines of, wow, you have a, like, a normal-sized penis. That makes me so upset. I, I can't imagine what Asian men have to go... I mean, Asian women go through a lot, but Asian men also have this, like, desexualized identity. That is the identity. shadiest fucking thing you can say that to just, a guy while you are hooking up with it them. It makes me so angry that you have to deal with that. That yeah. is so horrible. God, I've, I've I've hooked up with white guys who it's like they have like micro penises. Micropenis. <laughs> <laughs> white guys, you are not exempt from having a micro penis. You're not, really. Wow, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and 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 it's a real it's a reality. Like it is a legit reality that like that you have to face. I read this article where someone said that. Asian men have often heard the phrase, I don't date Asians. I don't date Asian men. Yeah, I have been told in a bar, oh, I'm not into Asians. God. Ugh. Like, See, because I've heard that too, but it's only referred but here's to the Asian deal. men. This is, this is, that's, that's key right there. Because like, that same person would never tell a black person. I'm yeah, not, I'm yeah. Not, I'm why not is it black that guys. that's okay? That's okay to be like, Do you know I why? Date- because, and this is why I think what you guys are doing is important. Because... I'm tired of, and I hope that this doesn't happen for the generation below ours, but, like, I would love to live in a country where our accomplishments or our accolades are not a surprise. Where it's like we're overcoming adversity to get to the point where we are. Where it's like everything, you should be so proud of yourself. And I'm like, really? I should be proud of myself because I work hard and I'm good at my job? It's like, no. It's like, it's like I, sh- I am at the same playing field as other people. And, like, the hardest thing is, is that the the worst stigma that I think that Asian people in this country face right now is thinking that it is we are actually, I think, abused for the fact that 
we are expected to work harder and we're expected to be smarter. I've worked in, not this job, but like I've worked in previous jobs where like I've been called into a meeting before and was like, like, can you help us set up these pivot tables? Oh my like, God. I'm like, God. I'm like, bitch, I'm like an art director. Like, like <laughs> opposite side of the brain. I know. It's yeah. like, I don't know how to fucking do that. I didn't go to business school. I don't know how Excel like, works. I, was like, I Google every single formula I've like, ever put together. And, and, I love spreadsheets. I'm such a, I would absolutely 100% identify as somebody who eight years ago would not be proud of his heritage, but now completely is. Yeah. But like, I want to encourage like my hypothetical children to like, explore the arts and explore things that are not necessarily like the norm mm -hmm. and if they if they just want to be a chemist or want to be a lawyer or want to be an architect like i'll support them in that if i was asian i could imagine that my parents in some point in my career choosing or in my pathway would not be pleased with the idea of the fact i am working in a job that is creative and my salary is literally peaked at a certain amount mm -hmm. that yeah. there are other i have friends that are asian who are like six years ago make more money than i do right now yeah it took a lot of buy-in to get my parents to come around to the arts yeah it's hard and i mean my parents were always very very supportive of yeah. that aspect of my life and and i think honestly i think it's because they're white interesting mm -hmm. like my mom wanted me to be a concert pianist i think if also if you're good enough at being a pianist like your asian mom might also want you to be a concert pianist yeah of course but only if you're like top zero top point one one zero 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 one i mean i had to quit because my hands are too small oh nate and i have the same size hands yeah wow have small hands and i have baby hands nate yeah. and kate just touched hands and we did <laughs> it was beautiful first. i liked it but i just i know i can't get attached to you <laughs> okay wow wow this is Awesome. Jesus Christ. Nate. We learned so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your stories and yeah, your experiences. This is incredible. You offer such a unique perspective. And I told Yoko as soon as we started this podcast, I said, we need to have this guy on here. Yeah, totally. I knew 100%. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, can I just say that, like, the one thing that I would wish if there are, like, you know, people who are like inquisitive about this is that if you're if you're like an Asian American who is either second, third, whatever generation, it's like and if you're like in the high school, college age, be nicer to kids who are adopted because they're going through an identity crisis in high school and college that you cannot possibly imagine. You're not growing up in an environment where you're surrounded at all by your culture. Mm -hmm. And like those things are really, really difficult to deal with. And I mean, it's it's something that like I remember when I was in, you know, I was in LA with my first boyfriend who is Japanese mm -hmm. and he took me to his family and they were making mochi. And I remember like I later that night I cried because I was like, I was just thinking about all the things that I missed out on about not growing up in an environment where there's like, there's like 60 fucking people at this thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it's because it's family and it's like things like making mochi on like New Year's is like this tradition. And I missed out on that. And I'm not saying that my childhood was hard or I'm not saying that it was, but like when Asians would find out that I was adopted, there was either a like level of like, oh, not like a sad face, but just like, it was judgmental. It was like, like they, they, they understand that they probably couldn't level with you on a certain Exactly. Way. You wouldn't know about the same thing. Because, because I would go into those interactions, like those initial interactions saying like, 
all my friends are white. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they judge you for that? And they judge you for that. Because yeah. they're like, why aren't you in touch with your heritage? Why aren't, like, why can't you speak? Why can't you, like, I can count to five in Korean. I feel like um, people like me and Kate, we're both Japanese American. Mm-hmm. So, like, our Asian, like, our connection to being Asian has a lot to do with being Japanese specifically. And there are a lot of things that we can level with other Asian pe- Asian and Asian American people on about just being Asian. There's like a shared experience of being Asian in general. But like, would you say, I feel like if you are adopted and you only kind of, quote, get in touch with your Asianness, like when you're much older, like where does that being in touch come from? Like, is it with Koreanness? Is it? With Asianness in general, like is it with Americanness? Yeah, or like Asian Americanness, because I feel like Kate and I both have Japanese American experiences, but mine is very different from hers because my parents moved here mm-hmm. from Japan, and Kate's parents have been here for forever. a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I identify as Asian American, mm-hmm. like as an identifier. Yeah. Um, but one of the first things I say whenever I meet anybody who's Asian is. I as a psychological thing because it's just it just actually makes conversation easier I say I'm adopted mm. because otherwise they'll sniff it out they'll, they'll legit sniff it out of me eventually are you embarrassed of it I'm not at all like like you know the, the the nice thing about Asian Americans is that like I don't know why the fuck white people do this but like when you tell people you're adopted and they're white they're like oh I'm sorry like and I'm like what? I'm like why are you sorry what? like what like why do why do white people say that when Asian people, people do it? They're like, oh, cool. Like where are you from? I've never gone out of my way to try, in adulthood, because you know I'm 32 years old right now. Like to to try and engross myself in the Asian community, it's just organically happened for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm much happier because of it. Cool. God. Cool. Nate, thank you so much for being here. Wow. Again, thank you so much for sharing everything should we talk about butt plugs oh god (laughs) i'm gonna use this to transition into where can people find you online where can people find your work how can people follow the amazing things you say and record about yourself find your six-pack abs on instagram find your goddamn amazing fashion sense and your denim line and your bag line instead of butt plugs why don't you just plug yourself Kate, you loved it. You loved it. Thank you. You know, my name's Nate Pokert. How do you spell Pokert? P O E K E R T. Um, It's Dutch German. I'm adopted, guys. I don't know if you got that in the last like hour. (laughs) It's not some weird like Balinese like thing where people are just like, "What are you?" Like, um, you know. But you don't want to follow me because like. My no, my Twitter is mostly like verbal verbal vomit. My Snapchat is like self-deprecating. Look how like stupid like the things I do are on a daily basis, and my Instagram is an embellishment of like I have abs. (laughs) That sounds like my life, except I don't have abs. Except for the abs part. So Yoko. Yeah, Kate? Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, um, people can find me on the internet. My username is at P-S-Y-O-K-O on Twitter and Instagram and all the other things. Yeah, Kate, what about you? You can find me on the internet at C-M-Y-K-A-Y-T-O-E at C-M-Y-K-A-Y-T-O on Twitter and Instagram. And those are the important ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you can find the podcast at 
Swaif Podcast, S-W-A-Y-F Podcast. Um, we also have a website, swayfpodcast.com. Where we post the show notes, some yeah. visual references, uh-huh. and anything that we think might be helpful for you understanding the episode. You can also see an archive of all of our past episodes and all of their show notes, yeah. all of our past guests. And you can also learn a little bit more about me and Yoko. Yeah. So check that out. Yes, and please. If you haven't already, subscribe on, subscribe on iTunes, rate us, and we love you all so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Yoko. You're the best.